Brothers and sisters, would you turn in your Bibles today to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. So we're beginning chapter 10 and looking at verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Brothers and sisters, then would you hear with me please the reading of God's Word. As he left there and went out to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked Him again about this matter. And He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, there is an unraveling occurring in our country that has been occurring for some time now. And one major reason why this unraveling is taking place is because of how this country treats marriage. It's nonchalant attitude towards it. And this God-ordained institution's decay. This past week, I've, I've looked at some figures some numbers on divorce. And they are saddening and alarming, especially when put into perspective. Every 13 seconds, there is a divorce in this country. That equates to 277 divorces in one hour. Over the course of our service today, there will be 277 divorces which equates then to over 4,600 in a week and over 2.4 million in a year. And sadly, it is even Christians who have this same view of marriage and divorce as the world does. I was looking and it seems in 2020 that the divorce rate for the world is about 39%. Or excuse me, in the country. It's about 39%. Now, for evangelical Christians, it's lower. It's 29%. But that's still high, isn't it? Now, we know that some marriages end because of infidelity. But how many of us know of marriage, marriages who have, that have ended for, for far less? For we argue too much. I'm just not happy in this relationship. We were married too young. All these excuses, and they go on and on and on. And so how can we as Christians, and as a Christian body, expect the world and our society to respect marriage? 
when we ourselves do not. And you want to know why we we don't take marriage as seriously as we ought to? It's because we don't take the Word of God as seriously as we ought to. And that's because generally Christians don't know the Word of God. They're, They're ignorant to it. And they don't care to know it. And so, because they lack familiarity with the Scriptures, they'll take a passage or a text that they've heard or they've read, and they'll misapply it and they'll, they'll use it in defense of their own agenda. Right? They'll use it to be able to support whatever ungodly decision they want to make. Like a, an ungodly or illegitimate reason to divorce. Right? God wants me to be happy. So, because one, God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy in my marriage, I can leave my marriage and find another who will make me happy. And in that way, brothers and sisters, we are not all that unlike the Pharisees. right? Because the, here in our text today, we see the, the Pharisees are guilty of once again mishandling the Scriptures. right? They take God's Word to mean something it was never intended to mean in order to support their sinful desires to end their marriages with ease and for any reason. When instead, what the Christian's desire always ought to be, when we handle the Word of God, whatever the topic is that we are considering, is to approach it with all humility. It always ought to be to allow the the Spirit of God to teach us and then to submit ourselves to whatever it says. It is allowing the Word to speak and us not to force our own customs or our own traditions upon it to fit our own agenda. And so this is what we're going to try to do today, brothers and sisters, by God's grace. We're going to ask, what is God's intention for marriage? And not with an agenda, but with all humility, so that we might better understand this union that God has made, so that we might be able to fulfill its purpose to the glory of God. Okay, and so we're going to do this then under three points this morning. And the three points are this. Point one, divorce permitted. Point one, divorce permitted. Point two, marriage as intended. Marriage as intended. And then point three, adultery committed. Adultery committed. So point one, divorce permitted. Now as we open in our text this morning, we see that Jesus' retirement ministry has come to an end. Remember that retirement ministry where He withdrew Himself from others. That has come to an end and we see Jesus once again engaging the crowds. And so we're told that as Jesus leaves Capernaum and He's headed with His disciples toward Jerusalem, that a crowd forms around Him and as is customary, Jesus begins to teach them. And we can only imagine as this crowd forms around Jesus and He's teaching them that as the Pharisees look on, they are overcome with envy. Right? They are the religious elite. They are the ones that the people looked up to right? as being holy and having this great wealth of knowledge. And now Jesus has almost robbed them of that. It is Jesus people run to for knowledge now. It is Jesus that people look up to. It is Jesus whom they see has been given authority unlike any scribe or Pharisee. And so out of a a wicked heart and with evil intentions, 
the Pharisees set a trap for Jesus. And we see this by asking a question. They try to do this. In verse 2, we are told they ask, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, a good indication of the Pharisees' sinful motive behind this question is really shown to us in this word that Mark uses in, in, in testing, or it can be translated tempting. This phrase is only used four times in Mark's Gospel. Three times it's used of the Pharisees. Once here, once in chapter 8, if you remember after the feeding of the 4,000, the Pharisees came up and sought a sign from heaven from Jesus and were told they tried to test Him. In chapter 12, we will see, they asked Jesus, whom are we to pay taxes to? And Jesus says, why are you trying to put me to the test? Right, so those are three instances. The fourth is Satan. Right, Satan tries to test Jesus. If you remember in chapter 1 in the wilderness. And so we see that the Pharisees haven't come up and asked this question because they sincerely want to know if it's what lawful reason is there for them to divorce their wife. Right? But they're asking this because they want to entrap Jesus. And what is probably behind them asking this question is an expectation that Jesus is going to answer them no. So that they can do what? So that they can run back to Herod and tell Herod. Don't you remember that John the Baptist was the one who spoke out against Herod's unlawful marriage to his brother's wife? And what happened to John the Baptist? He was arrested and eventually beheaded for that. And so they wanted Jesus to say no so they could go tell Herod so Jesus could be arrested and put to death. But Jesus doesn't fall into their trap, does He? Right? He doesn't just answer them as they want, but rather He returns fire. Right? He, he returns in the form of a question. And so He says what? He says, well, what does Moses say? Which is to say, what does the law say? The law that, that you say that you believe in. He points them back to, to Scripture. He, he directs them to the Bible for the answer. And in doing this, brothers and sisters, we ought to take a cue from our Lord, should we not? Right? People, I'm sure, have asked you numerous questions about the faith. And it's not always with pure intentions, is it? They don't ask because they really want to learn something. They're asking to stump you. And here Jesus provides for us how it is we ought to respond to these people and all people. And it's to point them back to the Bible. The Scriptures are the only perfect rule that God has provided us in order to direct both doctrine and practice. Right, people today want to argue about homosexuality. They want to argue about whether hell exists or not. They want to argue about the exclusivity of Christ and salvation, whether divorce is okay. And what our response ought to be to those people is to say, well, what does the Bible say? Now the Pharisees then respond here in verse 4 we see. And they say, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now what they are referencing here comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24. And I would like if you would all turn with me there, please. Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
it's important to recognize how imperative it is to rightly understand this text in order to rightly understand our text today. Because only then can we rightly interpret our text as this, as this passage from Deuteronomy lays behind what is being discussed in our text this morning. As Jesus is answering a, a particular question. And if you miss it, you can come to an erroneous view on divorce. Because if you understand, if you don't understand what lies behind it, and you just re- read the text with us today, and you came to verses 11 and 12, and Jesus says, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. If you just read that with no context, right, you might come to the conclusion that many Christians have that there is no way, there is no reason, no, no exemption for any sort of legitimate divorce. And so we have to ask, is that the case? Is that the case? And so look with me here, please, in Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, brothers and sisters, there is some controversy that surrounds this passage in Deuteronomy and it centers around that word indecency. Indecency. And that's because there's some ambiguity there because the word indecency in this passage in Deuteronomy simply means nakedness of a thing. It means nakedness of a thing. Now, John Murray, in his book on divorce, believes it to to be improper behavior that was shameful in conduct, but that falls short of adultery. But during this time, as this is written, there are two schools of thought, really, on how to interpret this passage in Deuteronomy. And it's really a, a, a conservative and liberal divide on how to understand it. The conservative Jewish teachers taught that this passage in Deuteronomy, that when they talk about indecency, that it it refers only to adultery. So that a husband is only to write his wife this bill of divorce in cases of adultery. Now, the liberal school of Jewish teachers taught that this literally could mean anything. That if a, a husband was upset with his wife because she missed... Uh, she, let's say she burnt his food. She burnt his dinner. He was able to, to put her away for the smallest of infractions because they took this word indecency to mean anything that displeased the husband. Now the view that Jesus is addressing though today and that the Pharisees themselves held 
I think is brought out more clearly for us in Matthew's parallel account to our text. Right? Matthew covers this exact same encounter. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees asked, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? You get that. For any reason. So we see that the, the Pharisees took the liberal view. They're saying, is it okay for us to divorce our wife for any reason that we choose? And this is what Jesus then responds to in Mark 10, verse 5. And He says, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses wrote to you this commandment. And so the issue being addressed in our text today that is important to understand is not, is there any grounds for legitimate divorce? And if so, what are they? The issue that Jesus is dealing with today is illegitimate divorces, which is what the Pharisees here are asking about and use this passage in Deuteronomy 24 to defend. Now, I actually think that as Moses wrote Deuteronomy, that he neither takes the liberal or the conservative view. I think Moses is somewhere in between the two of those. But the Pharisees took this permission as a license for easy divorce when Moses gave it to them only to prevent a greater evil from occurring. Do you see this? The certificate of divorce that the husband was to give to the wife was a protection for the wife. It was a protection for her. Think of the, the cruelty of the husband to be able to just put her out for any reason. And she would be scandalized by society. And so Moses says, I'm going to permit for a time to put off your wife for reasons other than adultery. But if you divorce your wife, you must give her a certificate of divorce. And I think Moses makes them give a certificate of divorce for two reasons. First, it's so that the wife has a document to say, see, I'm free from my marital obligations. And so that document likewise protects that woman's reputation in society and allows her then once to remarry again. But likewise, I think Moses says that you must hand them the certificate of divorce in order also to deter husbands from just frivolously divorcing their wives for any reason. Because in having to give your wife this, this certificate of divorce, it was a testimony against the husband. And so Moses says, for a time I permit you to divorce your wife. But if you do so, you must give her a certificate of divorce. Now the reason why I think Moses takes this to mean something other than adultery, thus landing himself somewhere in between the conservative and liberal view, is because, brothers and sisters, if you were an Israelite, there was no need to write your wife a certificate of divorce if she committed adultery. And do you know why that is? Because the punishment for adultery was death. Right? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. There's no need to divorce your wife, take time writing up the certificate of divorce and giving it to her if there's a law in the books already that says she is to be put to death. 
Right? And so this passage in Deuteronomy 24 isn't talking about adultery when it speaks of indecency. But as sinful man often does, when we are given an inch, we take a mile, don't we? Right? Moses permits them this. He permits them to do this. Yet I want us to also see that this isn't an endorsement for divorce by Moses. Rather, this is a concession. As Jesus says, because of their hardness of heart. And yet they took this concession then as permission to just divorce their wives for any reason. When Moses simply wrote this law, gave them this law, allowing a lesser evil in order to prevent a greater evil from occurring. And what we see in our text today is that that hardness of heart that was in those Jewish men back when Moses wrote, for which he gave them this law, still permeated the hearts of these Pharisees as they thought they should be able to divorce their wives easily and for any reason. But how does Jesus positively then respond to their inquiry? Well, this takes us, brothers and sisters, to point number two, which is this. Marriage as intended. Now, there are five points from these four verses that I want us to look at. So please first look with me at these verses, starting at verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now as I said, there are five points from these four verses that I want us to see. So first is this. Marriage is as old as creation. Marriage is as old as creation. Marriage was from the beginning and it was prior to the fall. And this demonstrates to each one of us the excellency of this institution of marriage. It demonstrates to us the integrity in which we are to keep marriage in. Demonstrates to us the esteem that we are to have for God's ordained institution of marriage. As this institution was not given in response to sin, but prior to sin. God gives us this for man's happiness here on earth. Right? When man was still upright and without sin. The second thing I want us to see then is that God is the author, God is the, the institutor of marriage. Right? In the beginning, God made them male and female. God put them together. God said, let no man separate what I have joined. And He made them male and female to be fit for this institution of marriage. Right? In order to increase population. In order to be a, a help and a benefit and comfort towards one another. Now, oftentimes, we will hear today, and people who argue against what we would call the traditional view of marriage, they'll say, well, Jesus never said that these people couldn't get married or these people couldn't get married. But I want us all to see today, in fact, He did. In fact, He did. Right? Jesus says what? God intended marriage 
from the beginning to be one man, one woman, joined together. And so we don't need Jesus to provide us a lengthy list of all the illegitimate ways to get married, right? Because here He provides to us the positive argument for marriage, which is one man and one woman, which necessarily then excludes all other marriages as illegitimate in the eyes of God. The third thing that I want us to see is that God created two sexes. He created a male and female. Both are necessary. Both are good. Both are profitable. And to deny that there are two sexes as this world does today is to fall into grievous sin. Because what does it do? It calls God the author of the sexes a liar. It calls Jesus who tells us that God created a male and female a liar. It calls into question the Word of God. And any confusion that leads to the denial of the Word of God, we must recognize is coming from Satan himself. The serpent caused confusion in the Garden of Eden, did he not? Did God say, which resulted in the fall of humanity? Satan tried to cause confusion in the wilderness by misrepresenting the Scriptures in order to get Jesus to abandon the cross and follow Him. And today, Satan is behind the confusion over the sexes. He is behind the confusion over who marriage was given for. It is Satan who now whispers in the hearts of this world, did God really say? Did He say there are only two sexes, male and female? Did He say that marriage is only for one man and one woman? Yet this results from a society who has exchanged the truth for a lie and now serves the creature instead of the Creator. And so what does God tell us? Because of their constant rebellion, because of their constant rejection, He has given them over to their debased minds. So now they do those things that are not to be done. And now they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They've exchanged the natural use for one another for the unnatural. Marriage was established between man and woman because this was what was agreeable to nature. It is only man and woman who are able to fulfill the purpose that God has intended for marriage. Which then leads us to the fourth aspect of Jesus' teaching that I want us to see. And that is that close union that God has intended for marriage. Which is grounded upon the union that we see in the first man and the first woman. Right? Eve was taken from the, the side of Adam. Right? She was a part of man. She was so closely united to her husband that although they were two distinct people... It was as if they were just one. This is why Jesus says, Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. Which is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Right? The union between man and woman should be the nearest union there is between two people. The love that a spouse has for their other spouse 
is to supersede the love they have for any other human being. Love between husband and wife is to be greater than love for mother, father, son, or daughter. What's interesting though in this passage is when Jesus says to, when He quotes Genesis 2, to hold fast to your wife. Do you know what hold fast means? It means to be glued together. It means to be glued together. Husband and wife through the union of marriage are to be glued together. That is how close the union is to be. As we then are called to love our wives like we love our own body, right? Because two have become one. Which is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, Husbands, love your wives as you love your own bodies. And yet, isn't this tight union Isn't this oneness that Jesus speaks about as God's intention for marriage? As well as this special type of love that is to be between husband and wife as they leave all others, forsake all others for each other. As we read this, doesn't it also serve as a a sharp rebuke to all of us here? Especially those who are married or those who have been married. How many of our marriages fall far short of God's intention for marriage? How many of us husbands fail to exemplify the love that Christ has for His church to our wives? How many spouses here, both husband and wife, fail to love the other with a special kind of love? How many of us are not glued to our partner? And why is it? Oftentimes it's because we allow family, friends, distractions of this world to get in between that partnership, do we not? And how often, brothers and sisters, we we show greater love to others than our own spouse, do we not? You see, we look out into the world and we, we decry the abuses of this institution of marriage by the world. And yet, as we see, we, we are not guiltless ourselves. Right? When we, when we go about our marriages just as the world does. Right? When we can't stand our spouse. When we speak evil about our spouse. When we don't want to spend any time with our spouse. When we love others more than we love our spouse. This is why everyone here married or who have been married, must go before God's throne of grace and repent. Right? We ought to repent for not taking marriage as seriously as God has commanded us. We ought to repent for not fulfilling those marriage covenant duties that we have towards one another. And then we need to turn to God and cry out that He would help us and give us greater affection for one another. That He would help us to express that love towards one another and by being with one another and doing for one another and putting one another before all others. Because when we treat marriage as God has intended it, we will find that there is no greater happiness to be found in an earthly relationship than this between husband and wife. 
And then the last and the, the fifth point here that I want us to see from Jesus' words is this. That because God created and established marriage where He made two become one, marriage was designed to never be broken. Right? Marriage was designed to never be broken. Right? God says, what I have joined together, let no man separate. And so do we see the grievous sin it is to separate from our spouse for an illegitimate reason? Right? We are undoing what God has put together. In marriage, we are no longer two but one. And so when you put off your wife, you are putting off a part of yourself. You know, as we read the law, so often each week, we come across the fourth commandment, right? Keeping holy the Sabbath. And as you read that, as Moses speaks to the heads of the homes, he says that you are not to do any work on the Sabbath day. Neither son nor daughter Male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourner. But do we ever stop and ask, why does he not bring up the wife here? He brings up everyone else but the wife. Why is that? It's not for no reason. It's because the two, husband and wife, are comprehended here by Moses as one. This is what our marriages ought to reflect. Oneness. Oneness in mind. Oneness in heart. Oneness in direction of our family. Oneness in parenting. Oneness in faith in Christ. Let us each strive for that in our own marriages. This then leads us, brothers and sisters, to our third and final point then, which is adultery committed. Please look with me at verses 11 and 12. Actually, let's begin at verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Here it appears that the apostles are, are a little miffed about what Jesus just said. Although, in fact, it's actually more than that. They actually are asking Jesus this because they think His standard for marriage is too high. We read this. We're informed of this in Matthew's parallel account. right? Matthew tells us in chapter 19, verse 10, that, that they ask Jesus, or they say to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry This is what his disciples say. If this is the standard of marriage, it's better not even to marry. But what we see from Jesus in this encounter today is His unwavering commitment to truth in upholding God's Word. Although society around Him, although His very own closest friends, His apostles, say divorce should be much easier than this, Lord. Jesus does not bend at all, does He? But he continues to uphold the standard that God has set from creation. And as society around us treats divorce and marriage as something insignificant, we must not. And instead, we must be resolute in upholding this institution of marriage just as our Lord has. Now the Apostles' question here obviously 
is related to what was just asked. Right? They are, they are asking Jesus about what just took place in that encounter. About the Pharisees' question, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? And Jesus' answer. And so they're asking this. And Jesus responds, whoever divorces his wife marries another, commits adultery. And if she divorces her husband, marries another, she commits adultery. Right? To divorce for an illegitimate reason. Right? Because your wife burned your dinner. Or because she's just fallen out of favor in your eyes. You desire her no longer. And then to marry another is to commit adultery. That's what our Lord says. And why is that? It's actually pretty simple. If you divorce illegitimately and marry another, you are still married in God's eyes. That is why. Now our text today isn't about legitimate divorce. I've, I've tried to drive that point home to you. It's not about legitimate divorce. But because Matthew's parallel account does deal with legitimate divorce, I'll cover it briefly as well. In Matthew 19.9, Jesus is answering the question if, any, if divorce is lawful for any cause. And Jesus says this in Matthew 19.9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, listen, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Right? Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Right here Jesus says, there is a legitimate ground for divorce that is not sin. And that is if your partner commits adultery against you. Now what I want us to see also in this, that's probably quite surprising to some. Right? Usually, in Judaism, it was only the, the husband that had the right to put off his wife. But what do we see Jesus say here? He says, if husband, if your wife commits adultery you can divorce her. But wife, if your husband commits adultery, you can divorce him. What do we see Jesus do here? He gives equal, equal power, equal right to, to both spouses to put off a cheating spouse. Now because of this, people then also want to know, well, if Jesus says that adultery is the only reason, the only legitimate reason for divorce, then does Paul contradict Jesus? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, Paul says this, But if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. And so Paul says that desertion is a reason that you can legitimately divorce your spouse as well. So are they contradicting each other, Jesus and Paul? The answer is obviously no. The answer is obviously no. Right? They are speaking to two totally different situations. Right? Paul is talking about mixed marriages. And when I say mixed marriages, I mean believer and unbeliever. Where you have two unbelievers who marry, and then one is converted, and the unbeliever wants to leave. That's different than what Jesus is dealing with. Jesus is dealing with the husband or the wife putting off their spouse. Paul is dealing with if a spouse wants to voluntarily get up and go. Right? Paul even says, in the instance where you become a believer and your spouse doesn't, he actually tells them, you're not to put off your unbelieving spouse. 
And so they have two totally different situations that they're dealing with here. And so both, I want us to see though, desertion and adultery are the two exemptions that the Scriptures give us that we may legitimately divorce and not fall under sin. And still what I want us to see are these, these are exceptions, brothers and sisters, that are given because of sin. For this was not how God intended it from the beginning. And yet, how many people even here today have been divorced for reasons other than adultery or desertion? How many of our parents have been divorced for other reasons than that? How many of our children have been divorced for other reasons than that? And then you hear Jesus say that only adultery is a legitimate reason and and desertion, as Paul says. And maybe some of you sit here today and say, well, what am I to do? I'm married, I'm married illegitimately. What I say to you is to stay married. Stay in whatever place you are in. Do not compound sin with more sin. And yet what I would also say to you is do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Because divorce for an illegitimate reason and remarriage is not the unpardonable sin. It is not the unpardonable sin. Know this, that when Christ went to Calvary's cross, He died for the sin of adultery. He died for the sin of not loving our wives as we ought. He died for the sin of wives trying to rule over their husbands. And so, brothers and sisters, I tell you all today, we must confess our sin before our Lord. We must come to Him trusting and believing His Word, and He will forgive us our sin. But then we must move forward, resolute to practice and uphold marriage from this day going forward as God has intended it to be. Which is from the beginning, between one man One woman, joined together, special love for all of their earthly lives. And yet we need to be reminded today, as marriage is different post-fall than pre-fall, right? because marriage now includes two sinners who are constantly in need of the forgiveness of our Lord, who are constantly in need of the renewal of daily grace and mercy from God. But know this, that God promises to give those things to His people. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this day. We thank You, Father, for this institution of marriage. What a blessed union it is. We are so thankful that You have given us partners in whom we are to share in a special love with and be glued together. We ask, Father, that You would impress upon our hearts and minds this day this message and that going forward we would repent for all prior sin and how we misapplied this marriage duty that You have given to us. And that, Father, going forward we would exercise ourselves in marriage as You have intended it. Yet, Father, we recognize that we are sinners and we thank You for the forgiveness that we have in Christ And we pray, Father, for that continual renewal of grace and mercy and the reminder, Lord, that 
Christ has died for those sins of adultery and has died for those sins of not loving both God and neighbor as we ought. And so, Father, we come before You this day and we, we praise Your holy name and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.